Hey everyone, welcome back to Adhering Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today to have Dr. Daniel Malto. We're going to be talking about the problem of unseen animal suffering, or maybe the lack thereof. Uh, so Daniel, welcome. How are you today? Oh, thanks, Zach. It's lovely to be here. Um, I'm I'm quite well. It's, uh, you know, I'm in the getting into the Christmas spirit of things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's super awesome. And it is that almost that season, we're eight days from Christmas. So um, today we're going to be talking about in the mood of the Christmas spirit, I guess, the problem of evil, um, particularly looking at like the problem of like unseen animal sufferings and your paper in religious studies that we think is still forthcoming, even though you wrote it a few years ago. Um, and this question of like, do unseen animals actually suffer? And that question. So but before we get into that, Daniel, talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm a lecturer at the University of Sussex uh, over in the UK. Um, I I do a few things. Uh, most of my published work is in philosophy of religion, philosophical theology, but I also do secular philosophy uh, of logic, uh, philosophy of language, and metaphysics sort of stuff. So yeah, there's a few strings to yeah. my bow, I guess. <laughs> That's super fun. So today we're going to be talking about this paper in religious studies, unseen animal suffering. Do you want to just talk about the thrust of like the argument here that you're trying to present in this paper? Yeah, sure. So uh, as you say, I'm not I'm not sure if this paper is in print or not. Nobody's uh, nobody's updated me on that, but um, it is it is published online anyway. Um, so yeah, I wrote this a few years ago. I'll tell you a little bit about how this paper came about first, if that's all right. Um, mm-hmm. I. I used to teach philosophy of religion. It's been a few years since I have, but I used to teach it quite regularly when I was working at the University of York. And um, we would do that classic paper by William Rowe, that 1979 paper, uh, which I'm sure um, many of your viewers probably are familiar with if they are up on the literature. It's, it's you know, the sort of one of the classic papers on problem of evil and it's beloved of lectures and philosophy of religion because it's very accessible and sets out the problem in a really intuitive way. And so in the course of teaching that paper, you run into this particular thought experiment involving Bambi. I don't, I don't think Roe calls the, this animal Bambi, but a fawn who we like to call Bambi, who's caught in a forest fire and dies horribly. Um, And it's quite a cleverly chosen example because it's published in 1979. Roe knows uh, the main moves that are available to the theist, which have been available since the the early Middle Ages, of which, of course, there are are two. And again, I I kind of assume, I won't belabor the point because I kind of assume most of your viewers are probably familiar with these. I'll talk them through briefly. Uh, there's, of course, the, the two great theodicies. You've got your free will, theodicy. Well, the reason that there's suffering or evil in the world is because God wants humans to have free will. Uh, and the second, of course, is soul making. So the reason there's suffering or evil in the world is because it uniquely gives provides humans with the opportunity to build their souls in um, morally important ways which justify the suffering. Couldn't have it any other easier way. Okay, but but that doesn't explain Bambi, right? Because Bambi doesn't have the sort of soul which is a candidate for that kind of improvement. So Roe thinks, of course, that's going to be something that plenty uh, some contemporary theists will challenge, right? That's that's a response to the problem of animal suffering. Um, 
So soul making doesn't seem obviously applicable to Bambi and free will. Well, we can just stipulate that Bambi dies in a forest fire. So no free will, nobody, you know, let, let's even stipulate it's a forest fire in, a, in Northern Canada. It's not uh, the result of global warming, uh, at least not the direct result. So there's no human agency involved here. Okay. Why does God allow that? So we, 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 you know, in the course of teaching this sort of module, you go through these examples and you're left with this, this whole Right. How do we explain this sort of thing? Um, and I would test out the sort of standard responses. Well, of course, we, we could just say, well, Bambi does have that sort of soul. So you get animals in heaven. And I tend to find about maybe between 10% and a quarter students go for that as their favorite response to the problem of animal suffering. Um, or you could go with gnomic regularity, which I might talk about in a little bit. That's uh, another possible response. So, um, well, it doesn't really have to do with the animals per se or anything that's actually gained there, but God thinks about the picture holistically and God wants there to be rules without exceptions. So if God is sometimes going to make people suffer as the result of lightning strikes or whatever, then God's got to do it all the time. Okay. A uh, certain number of students will go, go for that. Um, but as you go through these examples, you're sort of, well, what else could we say? And one thing that came up, which I always found was popular with students, well, why don't we just say that these cases never actually happen? Hmm. And after running this through for a few years with, with various cohorts of students and always finding it to be a surprisingly popular option, I thought, but look around for it in the literature. I didn't, I found a one or two sort of references to this as a possibility, but it had never really been worked through. So I thought, oh, I'll just write a paper for it and see how it goes. So that's how this paper came about. Uh, so the basic idea then is let's answer the sort of William Rowe, uh, Bambi dying in a forest, um, no humans around to see it. There's no humans that have caused it. How could God do something like this? Uh, let's try to answer that problem by saying, well, actually God doesn't do something like mm. this. Mm. Yeah, that's super helpful. And I appreciate that. So one of these things is you're going to talk about in this paper is explain the idea of like, well, maybe these like Bambi cases don't exist. Like maybe these unseen animals um, that aren't affected by like, say like humans, they're just actually not going to suffer. So could you kind of just like spell out your view and why you may think it um, may be the case? Yeah. Okay. So uh, first pass, of course, the, uh, the view is insane. And in fact, maybe even on closer inspection, it's still insane, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give this a shot, right? Mm -hmm. This is, this is about mapping out logical territory. I mean, I have the same uh, sense of incredulity every time I look back at this paper and everybody, as everyone else does that looks at it for the first time, I think that can't possibly be right. Okay. But, but let's pin down where we think this is going wrong and see if it actually is. So the first thing, which I grant would be entirely insane would be to say that animals only ever die if there are humans around to see them. That, that's not a sustainable position. There's, there's carcasses, right? There's petroleum, and there's good reasons to think that that's, you know, the result of the degradation of bones and so on, right? Lots mm -hmm. of good evidence for animal death. So the, the move in saying that God doesn't uh, cause, doesn't bring about Bambi cases is not to say that fawns don't die in forest fires. They do, we have got good evidence for that. It's to say that there is no 
evil and in particular there's no suffering that happens mm -hmm. there okay um so the obvious way to fill in this picture now this is a just so story right so this is you know it's it's not necessarily part of the defense um but this is the obvious way that we would we would flesh out the picture to explain what's going on such that you have death but no suffering god just does a local miracle every time Okay, so you have lots of Bambis just going about their daily life away from all humans, including Bambis that have done this, you know, lo since long before there were humans. Um, and they're, they're just trotting around um, forests and they get caught in forest fires and they, they die. But as soon as the fire starts, the heat starts to rise. It becomes unpleasant. Got, if I, if I can hopelessly anthropomorphize this for a second and, and apologies to to um many good christians out there that don't like this sort of image you've got god looking down you know looking down at poor bambi who's the, the heat's just going up and god sort of points at bambi and says okay we'll 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 lower the uh the um um the reception to uh mental states now okay mm -hmm. let's just bring that down to zero okay bambi bambi burns bambi doesn't feel anything God can do that, you know, any omnipotent being can do that. Mm -hmm. Why not believe that that's what God does? Or at least weight that probability in such a way that that's just, uh, um, we take that as being a unproblematic add-on to our interventionist theism, right? If you're already committed to believing in a God that makes, uh, that, that does miracles, um, as I take it, you know, um, mm -hmm. most of uh, your, your, your average monotheists are at least in the, in the, the Abrahamic tradition, um, then why not take, mm -hmm. uh, seriously the possibility that God does these sorts of miracles? Yeah. And that's super helpful. Cause I think at least when I like thought about this, the first time I was like, like you, I was like, oh, this is kind of crazy. Like Descartes talks about this idea of like animals not having souls, which is a little bit different than your approach. Um, but then it's like, that's crazy. Like, no, there's no way. But then when I reflect on it, I'm thinking about like saying like the Bambi case occurs, like surely it's in like the capacity of like a perfect God to like, um, to alleviate this suffering. Like, it seems like there's no reason like, like why he wouldn't, um, we can look at some objections here in a second here, but it just like seems to me on reflection. I'm like, okay, there's some plausibility to this. Yeah, yeah. I like to think so. I mean, as I say, I think, Every time I look back and I think that, that that can't be right. Like somehow that there must be something wrong with this picture. And yet I'm, I do struggle to see where exactly the problem is. Um, there's certainly issues around um, weightings of probabilities, um, which we can talk about if you like. I'm, I'm, I'm no expert on mm -hmm. uh, probability theory, but uh, it seems to me that my, my position here is no worse off than the many theists who concede that they don't have a compelling argument for the existence of God, but still maintain that they're within their epistemic rights to believe in God in the absence of good evidence otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's an issue. Does this, does this somehow lower the probability? But it's not clear to me that it lowers the probability in a, in a problematic way. Yeah. You think um, about like what would entail from like God existing. Like it seems like if God exists, then and there was potentially like this gratuitous suffering that 
may for some reason or another, like God, we're talking about like, why would God create a world like this in the first place? Like if there's some reason for that, um, and there's no, like maybe for like the animal, like no soul building or whatnot, there would be like some sufficient reason for God to like alleviate the suffering. So that, that makes mm-hmm. sense to me. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's super cool. So what an objection here, and this is probably a very, like a lot of people think about this is like, would God preventing like this unseen animal suffering lead to a world of like massive irregularity? So like, it's like theists are like people like we like our like regular order of the world where we can like do science and things like this. But then the question of like, in like every instance of like this potentially like unseen animal suffering, like God alleviating the suffering, well, does that leave the world just massively irregular and disordered? Um, and this idea of having like the ordered universe that God created is it's just like destroyed um, by this kind of defense. So I'm curious what you think here, Daniel. Yeah, great question. Terrific question. Um, let me again just go back to one of the reasons I, I wrote this paper was because this this is a, this is a standard and popular move with respect to animal suffering and particularly unseen animal suffering. Well, the reason that there's unseen animal suffering, even though it doesn't directly make the world better in any way, but God wants there to be gnomic regularity. He wants there to be rules without exceptions. Um, so, you know, that's why God won't intervene. And that's why, you know, animals die all the time. That sort of, that sort of intuitive thought. Um, and I've, that's never sat well with me entirely. You know, I've, I've, I'm just not quite on board with that, that line of response because I honestly, for the life of me, can't see what's so good about regularity. Now, there, there is, of course, an important point about the ability to draw inferences and how that depends on regularity. Maybe I'll get back to that in a second. But, but setting that aside, just for its own sake, a sort of aesthetic value for regularity or, or some sort of um, appropriateness uh, of regularity with respect to divine action, I, I honestly have never been able to see it. I can't make sense of why God would want would prefer acting in a regular to an irregular way just for its own sake. That's not part of my conception of God. So I've always, I've always really struggled with this. And so to answer, to give my simple answer uh, to your uh, objection, does this lead to massive irregularity? I'm going to, I'm going to bite the bullet and say, yes, of course it does. Mm -hmm. So what? (laughs) Right. But only of a kind. Okay. So it it does lead to massive irregularity in that a huge amount of the time, certain external stimuli correlate with certain mental states. So something happens to a body and that sets off a trigger, which is, you know, causes pain. And on a huge number of other occasions, for no other reason than divine intervention, at least on the just so story, um, that same stimuli leads to, to no mental state at all. Or if you prefer a slightly uh, modified just so story, maybe God takes the pain away and just gives blissful feelings to Bambi, right? Mm. Um, that you could say that as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, that, that, that in some respect, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to call that irregularity. But as I say, I just don't see why God would avoid that sort of irregularity. Now, now the, the, the main point is, okay, but does this cause a problem for uh, things like drawing scientific inferences? Because this is, this is what's sort of motivating, at least this is the best argument I know of for motivating regularity. But of course, with the kinds of cases we're dealing with, 
it doesn't seem, at least that's not a straightforward matter, right? Because we're dealing with mental states. We're not dealing with the, you know, the, the external stimuli, which is what, what most of the obvious, you know, obviously intuitively better scientific inferences are about, right? So when we do yeah. draw scientific inferences, it's, it's not usually about, you know, what's going on in somebody's mind. It's usually about what's actually happening in the physical world. And that's, that remains completely regular on this story, right? When, when, you know, um, when a, a force catches fire, the heat doesn't it genuinely go up, right? Um, or, you know, the, the, the branches really do fall and they do fall on the, at the same, the same probability they do fall on, on beautiful little critters and so on. Okay. All that remains regular and according to, to strict laws. Um, now, of course, you might still think, well, there should be laws of psychology uh, here that are, are um, underwritten by regularity. But again, we're stipulating that this is animal suffering um, and unseen animal suffering. So it looks like these sorts of cases are, are beyond our ability to um, use as evidence anyway. So failures and regularity when it comes to unseen animal internal mental states mm -hmm. are not really going to serve to damage our inference drawing ability, I think. Um, that, mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the simple thought. Is that, was that kind of clear or have I just confused? Yeah, them? no, I think I'm, I'm tracking with you because like, at least for me, like when I think about this, like in some sense, like we would grant that like, if we were gonna like mount this kind of defense, like, yeah, the world would be irregular. And like for unseen animals, um, there's a different kind of suffering than maybe an animal that's like suffering and being seen um, because yeah, it's just, that's, it's different. But then there's also this idea of like, well, there is some regularity still, like it doesn't throw out like science out the window. It can still do our science. Um, and it's just like the specific like kind of cases here where it is irregular, but like, what's the problem with that? Like, so what yeah. is kind of. Yeah, exactly. Deal. So what it's a, so what response to this? <laughs> it's like, we still got our science and all these things. So we're fine. So we can just move on with our days. Um, I think so. I think so. Not exactly. I, I'd yeah. Be, yeah. I'd be curious to see if anybody wants, would want to push me on that because, um, I'm happy to rethink it, but it's mm -hmm. not obvious to me that any of our the inferences that we draw would depend on being able to rely on the the mental states of animals that we don't actually see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't seem like to mess up a lot of our like need for the regularity of nature for these mental states of unseen animals to be different. So I think that's great. Mm -hmm. um, so one objection here, another one that we can talk about, is this idea of why would God allow visible animal suffering um, if he doesn't allow invisible animal suffering? So we can talk about here like animals that we can see. One thing I was thinking about as we were talking about this was say there's like a lot of deer get hit by cars in like my area and there's a deer mm -hmm. and I guess if it was seen, it got hit by the car it would be seen already. Let's say there's a deer and it's just dying um, and it's not seen. So it's not suffering, but then someone walks upon it and it goes from maybe like this blissful state of peace um, because it's unseen to like this horrendous state of like suffering. Cause it's like agonizing, an agonizing death. So I think I've thrown a lot out here, but why would you say like God would allow visible animal suffering, but not necessarily invisible animal suffering? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, another great, another great objection. I do talk about this in the paper and I, I kind of, I don't have, I don't have a single response that I'm committed to. I think I proposed three responses in the paper, which I might just, if I can remember them, talk about two of them. Um, because one of them is rather convoluted. Let, let me say, first of all, that I'm, I'm never sure if to what extent a defense 
needs to answer the sort of why would God kind of objections. Uh, in some cases, you would need to if it runs the risk of lowering the you know prior probability of the solution that you're proposing. Okay, May, so maybe it does, um, but I'm I'm I might not. I might not grant that it does in the first place. So if this is going to be a knockdown objection, there might be more to be said, first of all. Um, but let me try to let me try to propose a reason. So as soon as you start going in for reasons uh, why God, then we're in theodicy territory, right? We're kind of thinking about God's mind. It's always a tricky yeah. business. Okay, so here are, if, if I remember these correctly, here are two possible responses. Well, the, the first thing is to say, uh, we need to draw a distinction between uh, the visible animal um, uh, death and the visible animal suffering. Now that uh, the visible animal death is explained, I think I think all cases are going to be explained if soul making and uh, free will work. That's that's the idea anyway. Okay, so um, look, if you if you're the one that brought about the death of the animal, uh, then why did God allow the visible case of the, of the animal dying? Well, because God wanted you to be free. Um, and if it was a natural occurrence, so your little puppy um, gets uh, I, I don't want to upset your viewers, but something bad happens. Um, why did God allow that? It was, you know, an act of nature. Nobody did it. Well, it, it allows you to manifest your, you know, um, uh, you persevere through that, that emotional pain or whatever without mm -hmm. losing your faith. Okay. So soul building. So that's why all of the external, um, you know, the, the death and so on uh, happen visibly. But your question, of course, well, but why, why would I think the mental states are, are there? <laughs> Yeah. Just just as a short aside, of course, you, you could you could go full Cartesian and say that yeah. they're not. Or or what I call in the paper sub-Cartesian and say all of the, the pleasant mental states are there, but animals never experience um, uh, unpleasant ones. That's not what I want to say, though. I don't want to be a sub-Cartesian or a Cartesian. Um, so the first response I have to that is, well, it seems to me taking another leaf, a slightly different leaf out of Descartes' book, that whatever God is like, God isn't a deceiver. And this is importantly, there's an asymmetry here and how this feature of God plays out between uh, visible and invisible animal suffering. So in the case of visible animal suffering, you have, um, you have a, a direct sensory relation to uh, something which, well, depending on what your account of, of, uh, of, of uh, whether you're an inferentialist or whether, or whether you, you think that we have, uh, we, we directly see mental states. Okay. So mm -hmm. um, that what's sometimes called the uh, perceptual hypothesis. Um so in in either case you're you've got the 
you've got good evidence. You've got good reasons for thinking that there is pain right there. If it's visible to you. Okay. If you can, you can mm -hmm. see it or you can touch the wounds or you can hear the animal shrieking or whatever. And it seems to me that if you had that sort of evidence or that sort of reason to believe that there was animal pain, but there actually wasn't because God had intervened and taken it away, then God would be deceiving you. Mm. Okay. God isn't a deceiver. So that's, you know, it, why does God do it? Well, God doesn't want to deceive. So if God needs for the purposes of soul making or for the purposes of free will, needs to make it look like animals are suffering and that's visible to you, then God needs to make those animals actually suffer. Okay. So hmm. that's why it happens in the visible case. Um, but the asymmetry is that that sort of line of reasoning, which I just spelled out very badly, <laughs> but that sort of reasoning, if you followed it, doesn't apply in the unseen case because it's your own fault if you're inferring um, from, you know, seeing um, uh, seeing bones that are, you know, uh, three or four years old and you're inferring from that, oh, this animal must have suffered uh, in, in generating these bones, right? That's an that's an inference which would not uh, w w for which you're responsible, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem to me that that counts as a deception on God's part, right? Whereas mm -hmm. if you actually if you actually see the animal writhing, but it's not actually feeling it, then that is a deception. Okay, so mm -hmm. that's that that's the first possible response to that. Did, did that, I, I made a complete mess of that. Did that make <laughs> no, I think it's clear because we look at this idea of, um, say like we are observing an animal suffer and we think it's suffering, um, but God's actually like, in a sense, like alleviating um, the suffering of the mental faculties. It's actually not suffering at all. That would be like some sort of like deception. So that, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the, the second reason, the second reason is specific to um, free uh, freedom theodicies. I might draw a distinction between freedom of the will and freedom of action here. Yeah. Um, I'm not as sold as this. Honestly, I'm not sure to what extent this works. I'm not sure to what extent the last one worked either. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely puzzling over these. Yeah. Um, but if we're to employ a sort of freedom theodicy where, where God allows us to do evil because God wants us to be free, then you might think that the best kind of freedom, the kind of freedom that God would really want us to have, is the kind of freedom which allows us to actually realize our intentions. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not even just our intentions, but also if this is sort of a you know morally salient decision making, also the realistic foreseeable outcomes of our actions, even where they're not strictly intended. Okay. Like the byproducts of our actions. Okay. So the sort of freedom, what was, let me put it this way. It'll ask a sort of rhetorical question. What's better that God gives you the appearance of freedom, which we might even call freedom of the a mere freedom of the will, where you get to make a choice, but God is then going to intervene and prevent you from actually acting on that choice or to give you full freedom where you can make a choice and then actually realize it. It mm. kind of seems intuitive to me. I, I am torn, but there is certainly 
a bit of an intuition that the full freedom is a great thing that God would want us to have, right? God wants us to be in a world where we actually realize consequences for better or for worse. It's not for the freedom, uh, the free will theodicy isn't just focused on making room for God to evaluate us morally by giving us the chance to make decisions. God actually wants us to be agents. Now, for us to be agents, it's not just it's not a decision making that just happens out here, up here. It needs mm -hmm. to carry on through to the world. Okay, so let's apply that to animals. That would not be the case, it seems to me, if every time we made a bad, a really bad, a morally heinous decision, make the decision, we act accordingly, and then God intervenes and prevents any negative consequences. Okay, it seems to me that that is a loss of uh, of uh, of a freedom of of action, if not a freedom of will, right? So even if you have full free will there, you're not as free. And it seems quite, it seems somewhat plausible to me that God would want you to be a fully free agent. So that requires that that has all the consequences. So insofar as animal suffering does result from human action, then in order to serve the purposes of a free freedom of action, God would have to allow the full range of predictable consequences, including animal suffering. So if you're an industrialist and you're making a decision, should I, should I burn down these 300 kilometers of the rainforest? That's a morally important decision. God wants you to be in a world where you can make that decision and act on it. And the consequence of that, which even God can't, can't, you know, can't take away, God has to allow us the price of that sort of freedom is that if you choose to cut down all of that rainforest, then you are going to cause actual pain to all of the creatures that are left homeless as a result. So that's the second, um, second possible response. Yeah, no, those are two really helpful responses. So thanks for that. Um, so the next thing you talk about a little bit in the paper is this idea of like, is there any positive evidence that there is like unseen animal suffering in your mind? Cause some people may, let's say like, like Daniel, like what about the fossil record? Like these things like, like it's obvious like these animals are suffering, um, like looking at tumors on like animals or something. It's like, do you think there is any positive evidence of unseen suffering? Is there any positive evidence of unseen suffering? Um the the I might pause for a moment on this one because I don't want to say anything too quickly. Yeah. I'm, I, th I think if I can go very briefly back to probability, I think in some sense I'm, I'm willing to accept that the probability of the just so story that I'm suggesting is going to be lower than the probability of whatever your version of theism is minus that story. Okay. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's just, it's just general probability theory, right? We're adding on an extra bit to our story. Um, and so to that extent, I think I could accommodate as well that in some sense of evidence or, you know, a reason to believe this is um, running against some, some reasons you have to believe that there is unseen animal suffering. 
So, mm -hmm. I mean, for example, it seems to me to be a rational inference, or at least, yeah, it seems to me to be a perfectly reasonable inference to think, well, animals usually suffer when they have hot branches fall on them. Therefore, animals that have hot branches fall on them when they're outside of my line of sight will suffer. Okay. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so I'm, I think I would grant that sort of thing. Um, but what I'm trying to make room for is that if you're already committed and if you already have a sufficiently good reason for believing in a God that intervenes anyway in the world, which I take to be part of mainstream Abrahamic monotheism, mm -hmm. then it's not going to unduly reduce the probability of your picture if you say, well, actually, I know that, or I, I hesitate to say I know that that doesn't happen, but it, it's part of my theory as a result of believing in that sort of God that there is no unseen animal suffering because it's incompatible with the existence of this God. Yeah. Um, so if there is evidence, it's, I think, highly defeasible evidence. Um, mm -hmm. As soon as you start giving me evidence of a kind, which is you're sort of experimental, you know, look, um, I mean, give a give a scenario. So you, you come across Bambi just uh, four hours after Bambi's been killed, right? Bambi's mm -hmm. dead, um, but the, the, you know, the body's still warm. You see all of the marks and everything. And it and you see a sign, you see signs of struggle. In a case like that, I can understand why, um, particularly if you think you, you know, you can see, you can literally see pain. You might mm -hmm. say, look, I can, I can see the pain on Bambi's face, right? Like Bambi's face looks almost like what it did when, when Bambi was alive. And Bambi looks like real pain or, or was in real pain uh, before she died. Um, that, that might be a stronger kind of evidence, but notice that as soon as you introduce an example like that, it seems to me anyway, that you also bring something like soul making back into the picture because mm -hmm. as soon as you get more, what you might call real evidence for suffering, you also get a more plausible appeal to, well, you know, why did God allow that? God allowed that so that I would, you know, have to deal with, uh, you know, the emotional turmoil of seeing this dead animal who suffered apparently needlessly and so on. Um, so yeah, what, what, exa what exactly would look like really good evidence for unseen animal suffering that clearly doesn't give you an, an appeal to soul making? That's what I would want to know. Hmm. Yeah, that's super helpful. So I have one more question for you. And I think this is kind of like, at least for me, as I was reading the paper and thinking about, um, this was like the biggest thing that came to my mind is first like this question of, so let's say you're right, Daniel, um, or the paper's right, that they're like unseen animals don't suffer. Uh, the question then becomes like, why would God create a world with so much like unseen animal death in the first place? Like when we reflect on like um, the history of the world mm -hmm. and stuff, like there's a lot of unseen animal suffering, like more than like thinking about like the oceans or in like Northern Canada, like like there's just so much unseen animal suffering. Like why would God create a world like this in the first place? 
Yeah, okay, that's that's a good question. Um, once again, that's another why would God question. So even if I even if I'm not happy with my answers, just as with the last one, right? Even if I'm not entirely sold on them, I'm not mm. sure that that that's a knockdown objection to my to the position. Yeah. Um, but in this case, I think well, I think the 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 reasons that are given um, in response to animal suffering generally would probably hold good here, including the sort of gnomic regularity that we talked about before, right? So as I said, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm happy um, to allow for gnomic regularity um, when it comes to death, just not animal suffering. So maybe there's an important role that's played in terms of giving you a sufficiently wide basis for drawing inferences. Um, Notice that, you know, that look, if, 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 I, if we assume for a second that I'm right, and that, you know, animals don't suffer when they're not seen, then it, it, it looks like their death. I mean, in fact, it, it's sort of part of the position that their death is not a morally bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's just morally neutral. They didn't suffer. So it didn't matter that they died. Okay. Now that's going to be hard for some people to buy, but that's, that's where, that's where this solution ends, right? It's only taking away the pain and not the death. So if we're happy to say, look, as long as they didn't suffer, their death doesn't matter, then mm-hmm. almost any purpose would serve here, right? In fact, mm-hmm. possibly even no purpose at all. It sounds heartless, but why not, right? Maybe, maybe God just wanted there to be lots and lots and lots of creatures, you know, um, yeah, this two-year lifespan seemed perfectly sensible to God, made sure they didn't suffer needlessly so so why not have more of them um so maybe maybe you know absolutely no explanation at all um but if there is an explanation it could be anything from well um you need a sufficiently large number of animals to get i don't know the fossil fuels into the ground that humans would need at a particular point in their you know their Mm -hmm. development so you need enough you know bones turning into petroleum or whatever. Yeah. Um, or maybe you need enough um, to um, uh, give enough variation in the ele- uh, the uh, um, evolutionary process or something. Um, yeah, so I don't have a, a particular response to that. But I mean, this is the mind of God we're trying to get into. So <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's fair. So, well, Daniel, thank you so much today for this conversation. It's been so fun and so worth thinking about. And I really appreciate you trying to bring forth this uh, like defense for the problem of evil, because I think there's something here. Um, and obviously, like some people like will immediately go like to Descartes and like think that, like, that's kind of crazy. But there, I think there really is some potential here for something really like worthwhile and could be right. So thank you so much for your time, Daniel. Do you have any like last thoughts or things you want to say before we wrap up here? Oh, uh, no, I've not, not thought of anything, but it's been, it's been great to chat, Zach. And uh, yeah, I mean, anybody, uh, anybody that wants to um, uh, give me any thoughts that they've had, please do. Uh, you can find me at the University of Sussex, find my email, and by all means, uh, send me a quick email. Not always great at, at, at responding, but I, I do want, uh, want to hear what people think. As I say, uh, when, I, when, I'm, uh, when I'm in my pajamas and not thinking about philosophy, this sort of thing seems completely bonkers to me. But every mm-hmm. time I look at this paper, I'm still struggling where does it actually go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe someone knows. Cause I feel the same way as you. I'm like 
yeah, I have the same exact like intuitions about this. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Daniel. It's been so much fun and I appreciate your time. And thank you everyone My who pleasure. tuned in. Um, hope you found this edifying. I encourage everyone to do here. Yes. Yeah. And okay. if you're listening and found this edifying, be sure to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. But yeah, Daniel, thank you so much. It's been a great time. Take care, Jay. And God bless everyone. Have a good one.